This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week getting reaction from our Zoomer squad on new data out of the University of Toronto, which reveals the Omicron wave has been more deadly for Ontario residents 60 and older than the two previous COVID waves combined. More than 3,700 people over 60 died after contracting Omicron, about 1,400 more deaths than were recorded during the Alpha and Delta waves together. And most of those who died with Omicron had fewer than two shots of a COVID vaccine. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Daryl Bricker is CEO of Ipsos Reed. And David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. Libby started the conversation by asking the squad if they think people are so sick of COVID, they're pretending the pandemic is over. It would be so if this was causing some uh, negative action or indifferent actions, but I'm not aware of, uh, of that second set of data. I know in my case, we just got our fourth shot, and I think everybody I know is being very careful about getting fully vaccinated. So I think I think you you had it right at the beginning. We might be fatigued, we might be tired of the topic, but I don't know that there's like a headlong uh, rush away from trying to be careful. Maybe there is, but uh, I think most older people I know of are being very careful. Daryl, what are you finding? Well, I think the the point about fatigue with uh, the disease is definitely the case. I mean, when we ask people, not just in Canada but around the world what the most important issues are facing the country today. COVID only tops the list in a couple of countries, uh, which are, you know, in, in extreme breakout situations like for Japan was, you know, fairly recently. But in Canada, uh, I can tell you that COVID is, in terms of the most important issue confronting the country today, has dropped from first place where it was for, you know, over a year uh, down to, you know, mid, mid-pack. Uh, after things like housing and inflation and a whole bunch of other things that are obviously not going to kill you, but are really more inconvenient. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd say that, that people are, um, they're not, um, I would say, resigned to the situation with COVID, but they're just factoring it in to how they live their lives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, even with uh, virtually everyone I know that has traveled recently has come back with COVID. And most of those people, except for maybe one or two, they've, of course, not been in hospital, which is great, but have been really quite sick. And the thing that struck me about it is that they were shocked. You know, they thought, well, if I get it, it's going to be nothing. Bill? Well, yes. And I think that's why the feedback I'm getting from CARP members and and other, uh, and other seniors is they're still very concerned they're concerned that the rules are being lifted, that people are being less careful, that you uh, watch a, uh, you know, a full uh, stadium baseball game on the weekend and see very few uh, masks. Uh, it, it's, it's scary uh, for them. If you're, uh, 
if you're an older person, uh, you know that you're you're going to be uh, vulnerable uh, to this. And we are hearing uh, stories from even younger people who are getting uh, COVID more often that they're very, very sick, much sicker than people were when they earlier got COVID. So among the cohort that I talk to, there's a real concern that we're, that we're not treating uh, COVID seriously enough and not uh, following the rules that originally we were told would help keep us safe. Hmm. And there are regional differences. It's interesting. Jane Brown was in Quebec City over the weekend. She flew and she said that in the Toronto airport, uh, most people were wearing masks. But in Quebec, no. Uh, Daryl, what is going on in terms of regional differences when it comes to this? Yeah, well, we've been finding consistently in the polling that the two places that really stand out as bucking the trend tend to be Alberta and Quebec, and Quebec even more so than Alberta. So I'm not surprised that uh, that Jane had that experience. But I can tell you, I just got back from Europe, you know, last Friday and and spent two weeks there, and I can tell you that COVID doesn't exist in the minds of people who are there. And in a lot of places in the United States, it's a similar kind of thing. So Canada, in, in many ways, I mean, we, we could be uh, uh, lamenting, um, you know, what we're seeing in terms of the statistics. But if, if, if any place that I've been over the space of the last couple of months, because I've been fairly, traveling fairly extensively, um, uh, the, the place that does stand out is actually taking it more seriously is Canada. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Affairs, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. You may recall back at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a dramatic uptick in the number of people adopting pets. Well, now the opposite situation is happening. According to Toronto Animal Services, there has been a 63% jump in pets ending up in the shelter system as their owners return to work and or find they cannot afford the rising cost to take care of them. Libby spoke about the concerns around this trend with Richard Paquette, director with the Canadian Kennel Club in Ontario and a dog breeder who also works with dog rescue organizations, and Dr. Enid Stiles, past president of the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association and owner of Sherwood Park Animal Hospital in Montreal. It was one of our major concerns at the beginning of the pandemic with the big uptake in adoptions and purchases of dogs and and cats, too. And I think the big thing, too, is that many of the people who decided to adopt are people who didn't previously have pets. And so they're inexperienced. And that means and that comes with a lot of extra work uh, if you don't know what it is to look after a pet. Um, And that includes the issues that we had with socialization and things like that, as well as just basic care of pets and the needs and wants that they have. So I think it's it's expected. I'm sad, of course, to see it happen. I was hoping and crossing my fingers that we weren't going to see it, but we are. Richard? Yes, as Dr. Stiles has said, uh, reality has reared its ugly head, and uh, a lot of people did not do their due diligence when they went out and sought a pet during the pandemic times. Uh, very frustrating from my point of view, where... You know, at the Canadian Kennel Club, we try to educate uh, prospective puppy buyers to do their due diligence and understand that pets are a 10 to 50 year 
um, not only a financial commitment, but emotional commitment. And it's very unfortunate that, uh, you know, some people have now realized the folly of their ways. So we do always recommend uh, pet owners seeking out puppies to uh, do their due diligence and have a good appreciation of the financial and emotional responsibilities of pet ownership. Enid Stiles, uh, how much of it, though, would you put up to the economy? I mean, everything costs more. People are having trouble, you know, putting their the groceries on the table if they want the kinds of things they used to eat, filling up the car. How much of it is a problem of money? I mean, I'm sure that there is a portion of it that is, I don't know, studies yet that have indicated what is the real pressure that is having these, you know, pets being um, relinquished. But I, I can imagine that, that there is a financial issue. And I, of course, that concerns me. And we know that on the veterinary aspect, you know, we have a workforce shortage. Uh, the care, the cost of care has increased. It has. And if you weren't, you know, thinking ahead and getting pet insurance, then you might be having some big surprises right now. And I, and that, of course, it saddens me just because I, I, I think that I'm sure like Richard, we know that pets can be such an, an incredible part of your life and your family and they can give you love and support and, and you don't need to give them that much, but they do still have needs. And, uh, it just, I just hope people can reconsider before relinquishing and, uh, consider keeping them at home. Richard, are you finding that money is a big consideration here? Yes, there are a lot of financial challenges, and as Dr. Stiles has pointed out, there is a bit of a shortage of veterinarians uh, nowadays. Um, Even puppy buyers now are having a a hard time finding a veterinarian because a lot of them are not taking on new clients, and uh, it is a bit of a frustration. Uh, Dr. Stiles mentioned pet insurance, which is a, a very you know, important consideration for pet owners to think about. And uh, we at the CKC promote our member breeders. And uh, actually, with puppies that are sold through CKC member breeders, we offer six weeks of free veterinary insurance. So, you know, all the things and advantages to buying, obviously, I'm a purebred dog breeder, so I do promote that aspect of pet ownership. But if you do contact the CKC, go on our website at www.ckc.ca. There are lots of tips for puppy buyers with respect to finding a reputable breeder, finding the right dog for you. And and that's so important also. And and obviously, the advantages to purebred dogs is that those dedicated breeders have to follow a code of practice and code of ethics. And hopefully, you'll get a product that you'll be more suited to. Richard Paquette, director with the Canadian Kennel Club, and Dr. Enid Stiles, past president of the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association and owner of Sherwood Park Animal Hospital in Montreal. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, sometimes change happens right away when the news media gets involved. I'll explain next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
It's an issue that appeared to be resolved almost as soon as it was reported by Toronto media, including the news department here at Zoomer Radio and the new Classical FM. We learned from the World Sick Organization of Canada that more than 100 men of the Sikh religion lost their jobs as security guards for the city of Toronto over a so-called clean-shaven policy that requires staff to wear properly fitted N95 masks. Men of Sikh faith have facial hair as part of their religious beliefs, and city policy states workers who cannot abide by the clean-shaven directive due to creed, religious beliefs, practices, or observances are given the option of meeting with their manager to explore other accommodations. But it seems this did not happen for those individuals who fit this exemption and lost their jobs. The issue became a hot topic in Toronto on Tuesday. That's when Libby spoke with Balpreet Singh, legal counsel and spokesperson for the World Sick Organization of Canada, and Brad Ross, the City of Toronto's Chief Communications Officer. So at the end of June, uh, this past June, June 22nd, in fact, um, a, uh, a public health directive um, based on guidelines and occupational health and safety said that in congregate settings like shelters and in particular where there is an outbreak or a suspected case of COVID, that those staff, uh, including contractors who may come into close contact with a, with an individual uh, who has COVID should wear a um, N95 respirator to protect them um, and, to, and to protect those around them. So that, uh, that was the public health directive and an N95 respirator uh, as as you may know, and, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, do, needs to be what we call fit tested. That that is, it has to it has to create a a seal around the face, uh, the nose and chin and the cheeks, uh, and and facial hair would prevent that seal from from being effective, uh, effectively protecting the individual. What is the nature of accommodation? I mean, the World Sick Organization says it's discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these. Some of these men were let go. Some were offered alternate employment, but it paid less. Right. So unacceptable on on all forms. Um, Accommodation means accommodation. That is that you must be accommodated uh, with another uh, role um, without being demoted, without having a pay docked, without being uh, having your employment terminated. Uh, we have an obligation as a city to accommodate our employees and our contractors must follow our policy as well. It's also human rights legislation. If uh, you have a religious grounds, then you are entitled to accommodation. We cannot discriminate based on uh, religion, uh, as we all know, and it is unacceptable that that, that occurred. Accommodation uh, in 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 this case would be, uh, you know, it's another location, another facility in the city. For example, uh, we have a lot of a uh, lot of work for contract security guards uh, at the city of Toronto, uh, and so our expectation is that that those employees would have been accommodated, and we will be communicating and have communicated in the strongest terms possible with these contractors um, that these employees um, must be reinstated and cannot be discriminated against 
because they have beards uh, for religious reasons. Now I'd like to bring in Balpreet Singh, the legal counsel and spokesperson of the World Sikh Organization of Canada. You're saying that these security guards are being uh, discriminated against for their faith. Uh, isn't this just a health and safety issue? Well, the fact is that they've served in their positions for two years without uh, without issue. Uh, so at the height of the pandemic, when there were no vaccines, when people were dying, uh, uh, they served in this position when no one else wanted to do the job. Uh, and now uh, things are changing. We know that mass mandates are being lifted and visitors to these sites are not masking. Uh, and uh, to ask them to clean shave or leave their job, it was uh, unacceptable. Uh, so we have had developments since the story broke yesterday. The city has agreed to a recommendation. There is a method called an undermasking technique where you cover the beard with a latex cover or cloth cover that forms an effective seal. And uh, that's going to be the method moving forward. So this is something we suggested a month ago. And uh, I'm glad that the, the city has accepted that recommendation. And you say that you suggested this a month ago? So I had written to Mayor Tory and all of City Council on June the 7th, and uh, this was one of the recommendations I had included in my in my letter. And uh, after waiting, I guess, almost a month, I, I had heard back on a timeline when I'd be hearing back or when they'd be reaching a decision. So uh, yesterday when it broke in the media, uh, I guess we've gotten a solution pretty quickly. Balpreet Singh, legal counsel and spokesperson for the World Sick Organization of Canada, and Brad Ross, the City of Toronto's chief communications officer. It turns out Fightback was the first to break the news about the resolution for workers of the Sikh faith with the City of Toronto that they may use a latex mask over their beards, which would then be covered by an N95 mask. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. It seems the chaos in our airports is continuing in the early weeks of the summer, despite new measures which are supposed to improve operations and reduce delays, cancellations, and long lineups. Notably, it was announced by Air Canada late last week, just in time for the long weekend, 9,500 flights will be cancelled this summer to ease congestion, a move that can also create a whole new set of backlogs. Logs. Libby spoke about this with Duncan D, a former chief operating officer at Air Canada. They went into the summer peak with 97% of their pre-pandemic workforce, with a plan to operate 80% of their pre-pandemic summer schedule. So they, in fact, were anticipating challenges and had quite a bit of a buffer built into their operation. What they clearly didn't anticipate was how things have just gone at the airports for the last three months. Staff, aircraft, these are all finite resources within the airline industry. When you've got delays upon delays going on for as long as they have in Canada, you're basically uh, going through your available crew and aircraft much more quickly than anyone could have anticipated. And so they made this decision to give themselves a fair shot at having a successful summer season. So I think that it's it's a situation where there were a lot of circumstances contributing to the cascading effect that we've seen in Canada since around the start of April. How would you apportion the blame for it among the government, the airlines, and, and the airports? Well, look, it, did Air Canada staff enough 
um, in anticipation of what was happening. Well, they actually had more staff available than they ever would have even before the pandemic. So they anticipated things would be tough. I think that the difficulty that they're facing now is because the federal government has done nothing with the last 90 days they've had to try to fix the situation that they've created. So you've got a situation where the security lines were three hours in April and May. So how did they fix that? Well, travelers are now checking in three hours before the their flights. So there are no lines of security. But what happens is you've got overcrowding at gates and you've got overcrowding in the bag rooms where bags are being stored instead of being transported for several hours before a flight even takes off. On the arrival side, the airports have reported that the pandemic inspections that the Customs and Border Services Agency are conducting has quadrupled the amount of time travelers are taking to get inspected. So when you've got that type of delay taking place day in and day out, and we've now seen these delays for about 90 days, it makes it extremely difficult for an airline to plan their their staffing and their aircraft utilization. And so Air Canada had to act unless, uh, you know, they were afraid that if they didn't act, what they would be faced with was an even tougher decision closer in when flights would have to be canceled, not weeks before they were going to be operated, but sometimes the morning of, the hour before, or, you know, the day before. So they needed to make these decisions now to try to save the the, the summer peak uh, from an operational and customer service perspective. Well, customer service is pretty rough. Anything else? Uh, So you think the government's efforts are completely ineffectual? Well, I think what what the proof in the um, pudding is in the eating. And what we've seen with the government uh, is really um, Band-Aid solutions, uh, which have not proven to be effective at all. What we're seeing at the airports is what we're seeing at the passport offices. The lineups just keep on growing. They're basically um, using very, very um, ineffective so-called solutions to try to solve problems. And they're ignoring the voices of experts. You know, in the case of the Arrive Can app, they've, they're ignoring the voices of border mayors. Uh, the Customs and Immigration Officers Union has come out and said that the Arrive Can app should be, should be canceled. Airports and airlines have said the same thing. We're not quite sure who they listen to. You know, there, there are people who have a tremendous amount of experience in terms of air travel in Canada, but the government doesn't seem to be listening to any of them. Duncan D., a former chief operating officer at Air Canada, he was in conversation with Libby on Monday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zuma Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. David in Toronto phoned about new practices implemented by doctors as a result of the pandemic. When I go to see a doctor, they can check certain things that I can't do, like they feel around the liver to see if it's cancer, things like that. Um, You can't do that over the phone. But the question that I have is this. I have been to see my dentist 
two or three times since the COVID began. They have made adjustments. They don't allow more than one person in the waiting room. So why can't doctors do this? Ed in Burlington called during our segment on noise pollution. I have two, two complaints. One is about the leaf blowers, and the other one is about the concrete grinding. The concrete grinding, it, it puts a lot of dust out, and they don't try to mitigate the dust. It's all over the place. I, I already asked them to use the wet method, and they, they don't want to use it. But it's, it is really a, a pollution for noise and also for the dust. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Daryl in Toronto, who phoned about the Conservatives' move to disqualify Patrick Brown from the leadership race. I'm not really surprised by this at all. I mean, considering that this is the party that uh, a couple years ago had membership drives and took the money, and then uh, the members elected what they thought was going to be the leader of the party. And then after the election, the caucus that rode the leader's coattails into office dumps them. So it doesn't seem to surprise me. That doesn't seem You're to be talking much. about Aaron O'Toole, and uh, yeah. there are a lot of people, and we've been talking to them, who think that the way he was uh, gotten rid of is kind of uh, unseemly, uh, at the very least. Well, as I said, I, I just don't understand this, this particular bill, which the, only the Conservatives have adopted, that lets the caucus change the membership. I mean, they've just taken in $9 million in membership fees. And uh, these members are supposed to elect a, a leader, but, but there's no reason that they won't just turn around and do the same thing, ignoring the membership. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.